you know, I think we're just going to go ahead and hop in. Um, got a, I think, a, a great topic tonight, uh, a great speaker, and then uh, so so the way that tonight's going to work is uh, we're going to have uh, um, Diane give a reflection for for fifteen minutes or around that mark. And then we're gonna hop in the group discussion for around 15 to 20 minutes. So as she's uh, speaking, uh, if there's anything that comes to mind or if you have any questions, uh, save those and we'll get to those afterwards. Um, but uh, we, we want this to be a, a discussion and Diane's uh, gonna, gonna open us with a, with a reflection. So um, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, what the series is about, uh, the series is called Theologies of Transformation and Actions for Justice, in which we uh, go through our 10 interfaith action principles. Uh, tonight, we're gonna be talking about our eighth principle, which uh, means we're kind of at the back end. The other seven conversations are on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts. So um, those are available if, if you're interested in those principles. Um, but uh, last month, Dr. Tatiana Renoza gave a, a wonderful reflection on hospitality and migration and shared some powerful vignettes uh, from migrants around the world using art and story. And tonight we have the privilege of, as I mentioned, welcoming Diane Rappaport-Yampolsky to give a reflection on uh, the topic of barriers and bridges to the common good. Diane is a temple, a, a member of Temple B'nai Shalom in Benton Harbor. And uh, before I turn it over to you to Diane, uh, if it's okay, I'm going to share my screen as I have done and, and just uh, read the principle uh, for the group. So we all have a, a sense of what's going on here. All right. Principle eight. We advance the value of the common good as an essential guard against greed and power. Democracy without values of justice, equity, inclusion, and public responsibility results in an individualism which threatens our common good. In striving for the common good, we believe in a metric of equality of outcome, not a metric of opportunity. We are aware that patterns of consumerism and materialism impact the fulfillment of our common good and also threaten the future of our common home. So there's a lot there uh, and we're very grateful to you, Diane, for unpacking a bit of that for us, uh, but I'll stop sharing and, and at this time, hand it over to you. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Remember when COVID first hit back in 2020 with social distancing and masks, and then with vaccines in 2021, 2022, there was and still is the debate about individualism and the common good. In ethical discussions among leaders of conservative and reform Judaism, there was little hesitation as to whether or not to mask social distance or get the vaccine. The common good the community's needs outweighed individual choice. Now you can see this in many Jewish rituals and practices. Many prayers require a minion, at least 10 Jews to be present. The mortars Kaddish, one of the most sacred prayers in Judaism, which is recited at the burial of a loved one and on anniversaries requires a minion. 
The bereaved person should not be alone and is comforted by a minion. The confession, the prayer that Jews repeat and repeat and repeat aloud on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, is said in the plural. We abuse, we betray, we gossip, we jeer, we lie. Judaism is for the most part a communal religion requiring community for the common good. Maybe this concept of community has been a factor in sustaining Judaism through several millennia. With COVID, it was a no-brainer that getting the vaccine was for the common good. For the good of the community, for the common good, all of us needed to be vaccinated. It is one of the ways that we love our neighbor. As an aside, there was more debate in conservative Judaism about turning Zoom on and off during Shabbat than there was about the vaccine. <laughs> a belief in the sustenance of community is therefore a bridge toward the common good. Now, what exactly is the common good? The common good is a notion that originated over 2000 years ago in the writings of Plato, Aristotle, and Cicero. The Second Vatican Council defines the common good as the sum of those conditions of social life, which allows social groups and their individual members relatively thorough and ready access to their own fulfillment. Wow, that was quite a mouthful. The American philosopher John Rawls has defined the common good as certain general conditions that are equally to everyone's advantage. The common good then consists of having the social systems, institutions, and environment on which we all depend work in a manner that benefits all people. It might seem that since all citizens benefit from the common good, we would all willingly respond to urgings that we each cooperate to establish and maintain the common good. This is not so. One of the barriers to promoting the common good is individualism. According to the University of Virginia, the US repeatedly ranks as the most individualistic country in the world. Mm. We live in an individual culture. Our historic traditions place a high value on individual freedom, on personal rights, and on allowing each person to do their own thing. Our culture views society as comprised of separate independent individuals who are free to pursue their own individual goals and interests without interference from others. The sentiments of self-reliance, I'm a self-made man, or people should pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, assuming they have boots, carry the spirit of individualism. The common good requires sacrifice. And in this individualistic culture, it is difficult, perhaps impossible, to convince people that they should sacrifice some of their freedom, some of their personal goals, and some of their self-interest for the sake of the common good. Our cultural traditions, in fact, reinforce the individual who thinks that they should not have to contribute to the community's common good, but should be left free to pursue their own personal ends. 
some of our recent local school board races and actions by anti-vaxxers come to mind. Linked to individualism are individual rights. America's legal system is based on the Bill of Rights, the rights of individual citizens. In some ways, individual rights might seem to be the opposite of the common good. But I'd say there's another way to look at this. The common good approach encourages us to recognize how the freedoms and support we enjoy as individuals in pursuit of our own happiness are made possible by the sustained welfare of our community life. Another barrier today in achieving more of the common good, unfortunately, is the US Supreme Court. Let's look at the implications of the two cases, Harvard and the University of North Carolina, that are in front of the Supreme Court now regarding affirmative action and higher education admissions. At issue is the 2003 case, Grutter versus Bollinger, where the court ruled that universities may consider race in their admission processes to achieve diversity on campus. It was held that there was a compelling state interest to ensure a critical mass of students from minority groups. Furthermore, it was held that there is a compelling interest in obtaining the educational benefits that flow from a diverse student body. All students benefit from affirmative action. Having diverse classmates provokes a stimulating exchange of ideas and viewpoints. It prepares all students for living and working in our increasingly diverse society. Now I wanna say something about affirmative action. Our country has always had de facto affirmative action. This might sound like a radical thought, but there has been affirmative action since our founding. It has been affirmative action for rich white males. Due to generational wealth, enhanced by our tax system and other factors, the elite have always had more access to better education. There has never been a level playing field for everyone. And if there is not a level playing field, justice requires an opportunity intervention to ultimately achieve equity and outcomes. In Grutter, affirmative action by race was that intervention. We know where we're heading. Conservatives believe affirmative action is at best unnecessary and at worst, just another type of discrimination. Chief Justice Roberts has said, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discrimination on the basis of race. Some conservatives would like to retire affirmative action because they claim it's accomplished everything it's set out to do, but it hasn't, not even close. In Texas and Michigan, applications and enrollments of black and Latino students plunged after state politicians banned the consideration of race in admission to the public universities. That's a huge red flag. 
Nationally, there's a big gap between the percentage of white and black students who earn a bachelor's degree. And that perpetuates all kinds of harm and inequities in outcomes such as income, health, family wealth, and more. We still have a long way to go in building for the common good in which all our children can thrive. Because we have the six to three conservative court, it will probably overturn Grutter, which will erase race as a factor in determining who is accepted into higher education. This is like Dobbs 2.0 with enormous ramifications in both the public and private sector. And let, let's pause, what will happen if the court overrules Grutter and allows instead for the consideration of class or income or neighborhood as a factor in admissions? Won't that be good enough? I say no, and I point to the PBS documentary, Unnatural Causes, which found that race was a major determinant of health status and health disparities and demonstrated how institutional racism manifests in healthcare. If race is a major determinant of health status, might it also be a major determinant of educational status? I'm guessing that most of the people in our interfaith group have watched Unnatural Causes, which debuted in 2008. Its findings are still relevant. If you haven't watched it, put it on your list. I also encourage you to subscribe to Lakeland's Community Grand Rounds, which is a speaker series that addresses health equity and the impact of racism on the health of community members. Before I retired, and, and I guess subsequently as well, well, sort of, I have been an observer and student of organizational behavior I have come to theorize that interdependence is a higher value than independence. Interdependence is the scaffolding that holds the common good together. Does interdependence, does the common look good lead to greater happiness, more fulfilling lives, which is the ultimate goal? Can our current ethic of individual rights of individualism be replaced with an ethic of the common good. The common good is not a pipe dream. We may not, we probably won't achieve it in all spheres, but we've got to believe and work toward making progress. The Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010. It took decades to get national health care enacted. And justice, equity, inclusion, and public responsibility. The ethic of the common good requires us to reflect on broad questions regarding the type of society we want to become and how we are to achieve that society. It challenges us to view ourselves as members of the same community and to respect and value each individual's uniqueness.
Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Amen. Amen. Amen, and thank you for that, Diane. Uh, mm -hmm. what, a, what a note to end on, uh, given all of the challenges we do face. Um, but thank you so much for that. Uh, at this time, I'm gonna open it up to the group. Uh, any uh, thoughts on what Diane shared or uh, questions either for her or uh, that this talk provoked? Open it up to the floor. Uh, let me start by saying, D Diane, I was really struck at uh, the outset by kind of the, the ritualistic practice of the minion as a reinforcer of community and investment in, in common good. And uh, as someone who was raised Protestant, I hung my head in recognizing the role of the Protestant worth, work ethic as kind of a, a negative individualistic uh, opposite of minion and community and common good. Um, and how that is reflected as you portrayed in the vaccine and masking uh, debate. And that within Jewish communities, uh, that was less of an issue than it was in many uh, Christian communities. Um, From your kind of perspective where faith values coincide with political values, how do, how do you see us as interfaith communities re recapturing uh, common good values in our public uh, sphere? Um, Clearly voting, uh, uh, clearly uh, protesting, uh, but other ways that you might recommend uh, we build an investment in common good values. One of the things that's been going on at Temple B'nai Shalom, and I thank uh, uh, President Ruth Kramer for doing this, was to find a an activity, a cause that everybody in the synagogue could agree upon. Now, our synagogue is a composite of Berrien County 
in terms of attitudes and political leanings. It goes from uh, the far right, anti-vaxxers, to more to the progressive left. And the project that we took on was in having people buy diapers and wipes for infants and children in Berrien County. And that brought people together joining in a cause that was for the common good. But, but I'm intrigued given kind of uh, the, the members of B'nai Shalom reflecting the full political continuum as to why vaccines and masking was not a controversial discussion. Was that related to kind of core Jewish faith values? This was in conservative and reformed Judaism. And I remember when you know, COVID first started, there were a lot of webinars from uh, rabbis and Jewish ethicists that would find readings from the Bible or the Talmud or some other Jewish readings that talked about the essence of the community and that the com community's needs were paramount to an individual's needs. So it was finding it in the Jewish writings. Well, it seems to me given that so many people well, many people still have not um, been vaccinated, but I think that the Christian churches need to promote vaccination for the common good, pointing out that, yes, you as an individual may not wish to be vaccinated, but you need to think of the good of the community, and therefore, hopefully more people would be motivated to receive the vaccination. It's, it's just one area where the common good is extremely important. Um, and if people refuse, they're jeopardizing not only their own life, but maybe the lives of others. And out of that consideration, people ought to be moved to be vaccinated. Yeah, Mary, that uh, reminds me, I think uh, Archbishop uh, Supic of uh, Chicago was uh, very powerful in the vaccine debate by, by in essence saying what Diane said, albeit from a, a, a Jewish perspective, said it is a holy responsibility for Catholics because we are, Catholics are commanded to love ourselves and love our neighbor as ourselves. And therefore, uh, masking and vaccinating are holy responsibilities. Uh, regrettably, um, his, his voice was somewhat of a, a lone voice. I have a question, Diane, for you and uh, for, for potentially others in the group. Um, you know, at the end of the presentation, you you talked about how uh, you know the, the common good is not just a pipe dream; it's something that could be achieved um, 
we can't have equitable access to healthcare and housing and in uh, all the common goods, all the public goods in our society. Um, I know we, you, we talked about it a little bit, but what, what's really getting in the way of that? Why are people foregoing that vision in which we all have access to these things? It seems clearly better <laughs> when, when you're given a vision, but uh, what, what gets in the way of that uh, in, your, um, in your estimation? I think that in uh, more of um, theoretical is not the right word, but because of our individualistic culture, we want to go it, people want to go it their own way. And self interest. So um, is considered by some to be more important than the common interest. And I think there's not a realization that in many times that common good will allow for individual rights and interests as well. It also demands sacrifice. And um, as individuals, we're re reluctant to sacrifice. And, and it, for the common good, it means a lot, you know, giving up my desire. The whole thing about vaccines, I have to give up my position of not getting a vaccine. I don't want to make that sacrifice of getting one for the common good. Um, we're, not a, we're not a people who might say voluntarily make sacrifices. We often make sacrifices that are demanded by family or health or work, but to, to deliberately say fast from food to make a sacrifice so someone else may have, we're more reluctant to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded uh, Mary and Diane, uh, by, by your comments about what faith can potentially prepare us for relative to the common good. I'm thinking of fasting in Judaism, uh, fasting in Islam, fasting in uh, Christianity that may be preparatory rituals to instruct us uh, as to sacrifice for uh, the common good as to uh, sacrifice for a, a broader uh, end, a, a more inclusive end. I, I sometimes wonder too, if, if it would be helpful for us if we were more aware of those societies where the common good um, is preeminent. You know, so many other countries they, like they don't deal with the gun issue like we do because the common good says we don't have guns in our society or they're very, very restricted. We don't want those kind of restrictions that some other countries um, take upon themselves. 
so for the common good. Uh, and how do we move our society to be more um, concerned about the common good? And maybe looking at some other countries where they don't deal with some of the problems that we do because of the common good, they're willing to put out uh, funds for say more housing so they don't have homeless people. Um, maybe we would be, will we be, our people be moved to um, make more kinds of sacrifices so that there is more for the common good? That's a real question. Well, we'll it, look to Canada. <laughs> Begin there. Yeah. Well, I, I'm also uh, reminded, and uh, Diane, you commented on the University of Virginia uh, survey that resulted in U.S. Uh, being designated the most individualistic country. I, I recall a sociological study in which folks in Japan and folks in the US were shown photos of, of their school class photo. And the Japanese students when asked, what's this a photo of said, it is of my class. The US students responded, oh, here, it's a photo of me. Here's where I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and then another thing I, I grew up in a uh, Pennsylvania Dutch Amish Mennonite uh, uh, community and uh, the, the local Mennonite stores sell children's games that aren't based on an individual winner of the game but require mm. groups coming together to solve uh, issues or mysteries. That's really interesting that you mention uh, games that, uh, you know, if any of you are, have played some board games, yeah, and usually there's an individual winner. Ironically, one of the games that uh, some people were playing in my circles pre-pandemic was the game Pandemic. Have any, have any of you heard of this board game? No. No, no. it's the only game where uh, the only way that you win is if you all win together. Uh -huh. uh, and so mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm now connecting this. And that was, uh, I think, what a lot of people saw as sort of uh, different about the game was that there wasn't an individual winner. You had to win together. Not many board games or games are like that. But um, anyways, that came to mind when you mentioned that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to have to uh, jump on another call, but uh, uh, Diane, and feel free not to answer this, but is Christian, is the growing uh, spirit of Christian nationalism or a Christian democracy, in fact, a throwback to uh, your comment about uh, affirmative action uh, being uh, for uh, white rich men, and I would add uh, white rich Christian men, uh, is that a, 
a major challenge, a major barrier to us in our work uh, for, for the common good? And is it further evidenced by the, the growth in divisive speech and behaviors, the rise of anti-Semitism, the rise of uh, anti-LGBT uh, rhetoric and uh, actions, uh, the rise of xenophobia. Is this part of kind of the larger conundrum we face? Certainly the rise of anti-Semitism is scary for Jews in the US. We are fortifying our synagogue because of the rise in anti-Semitism. And the anti-Semitism is part of the greater, what we would see as white nationalism in the US. And I, I'm sure many of us here would agree that the white majority is no longer going to be the majority and you wanna hold on to the privilege that you already, that you had and don't wanna let it go. And so all steps to use affirmative action to increase access and ultimate um, better lives for, for minorities is really being tested. And what we need is great leadership to embolden peacefully people to protest and get out to vote and talk more about the, the idealism and the practicality of the common good. I've thought of that comparison um, of, of COVID as a war and, and thought of how we, our country has behaved in the past with other wars. Like, I mean, I, I think about World War II and like the sacrifices that my grandparents made, um, the way our country just rallied. And I mean, you know, families didn't see each other. You know, there were soldiers who never met their children. I mean, huge, huge sacrifices for this effort. So our country's capable of massively rallying behind a good cause for the common good because we've done it before. And I think, you know, like, you know, everyone's earlier points, it comes down to leadership. You know, we just, we had the terrible tragedy of horrible leadership that, that not only didn't rally us behind this effort, but actually was like counterproductive to it. All, yeah, all elections of this, make a difference. Yeah, all of this, this conversation is making me think about uh, the question of uh, 
widely speaking in the US, whether we really see ourselves as a community. Uh, because if we don't, <laughs> then there aren't common goods that we would seek together. Uh, there's only private goods within our circles. I, I think that individualism, you know, we think about it as a, you know, just a me thing, but uh, I think individualism also extends to just private communities, you know, for, for, for my individual group, uh, you know, we want these goods and uh, we're going to get them however we can. So um, I, I guess, can we have a vision of the common good without a, a broader sense of, of community in the US and how can how can interfaith work and, and faith communities be an example of what what that community looks like? That's a question for Diana, if anyone has thoughts on that. The, the common good may be too broad a goal. Along with individualism, we are a pluralistic society. And in a democracy, you have interests of different um, groups vying for limited resources. So maybe on one topic, like with uh, Obamacare, it finally was passed. And I really do think that that was an achievement uh, of the common good. So we might not get it in all spheres. We probably won't. But we could find allies, interfaith and outside of, uh, of the faith communities if we want to choose something that is a little bit more narrow than the great all-encompassing common good. And also, uh, this is something that I, I told Steve and, um, before I gave this talk, because I was struggling. You could tell my, my husband say in the other room and he heard me struggling. And what I was struggling with was our individualism and the common good diametrically opposed. I think for the most part they are, but I know when I see having to make a choice between binary choices, it, I, I feel like I've got to weave. And then may, maybe I could hold two thoughts, intention, but two thoughts at the same time. And this is an interfaith group, and I know I, I'm going off course, but I've also often dealt with faith and doubt. Can I hold both faith and doubt together? And I go back and forth and back and forth, but it doesn't make me less idealistic or less, um, saying that I'm faithful or the faithless doesn't 
two thoughts. So I probably um, have confused this to the utmost. I mean, no, not at all. I think that's very illuminating. And I mean, uh, personally, uh, I, I think that in one sense, uh, each individual uh, is important, has their own gifts, has their own offerings. And when used in a community for one another can be a, a beautiful thing. So, um, you know, I think we can hold those things uh, together. It's when we choose our own private good over the common good that I think it becomes disruptive. Uh, but these are these are these are broader questions for how how to hold these uh, together. So, thank you for wrestling. I think I think a lot of us are so. Well, we are at sort of our time for the evening. But um, if there are are there any other comments? Uh, questions that we have not got to before we, we wrap this up. No? Well, uh, okay. Diane. Diane. Uh, no, no, go for okay. it. I wanna reach out to Diane. We're in the synagogue together. Um, she did a great job tonight. And uh, Stephen, you did a great job as well. Yeah, thank so, you so, so much, so Diane, yeah. So the metaphor for where y'all are is on the side of the road during a battle. We go on for our lifetime. We just moved along a few miles toward whatever the goal is. And so the, this little underground uh, group of people, scholars and believers, getting together and talking like this may sound like we can't get a lot done, but we can because we can go out and talk to other people and sort of get the job done. We, we have to. There, there's no, there's no, we have no choice but to do that. Yeah, you know what, uh, David, that's actually how I was going to end this. I, I want to end on your words, Diane, uh, which were, do justice now, do mercy now, walk humbly now. Uh, we're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are we free to abandon it. Uh, and I, I want to leave us with, uh, with, with your uh, wonderfully composed thought there from, uh, of course, the Hebrew scriptures. So thank you so much, everyone, for being here. And uh, we look forward to... Um, having you for our next two conversations, the next which is in just a few weeks. But in the meantime, uh, have a happy Thanksgiving and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully see you around. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah.